So what did this and welcome again to another episode of Latin in layman's. Uh, today's April 22nd, 2023, almost into May. I can't believe it. I feel like time is just kind of flying. Every single time I do one of these podcasts, I mention the date and I kind of surprise myself. It just seems like time is flying and it just seems to get faster and faster the older I get because the, the more I look back, the more everything just kind of, anyways, time is relative. Well, we're not going to get into that because that's not what we're talking about today. In fact, what I've done is I've actually been able to compile some more questions from my audience regarding um, anything and everything. Um, you know, a lot of these also are just concepts and issues that we are dealing with in the modern world now that I felt would be very, very interesting to kind of dive into because at the end of the day, it lets you guys kind of understand me a little bit more as to who I am, what I value, you know. And yes, I do love language. I love etymology. I love linguistics in general. Um, but I love how it's kind of giving me the ability to command my language, command my understanding, and to make me more inquisitive, to want to learn more, to want to understand more, to want to understand things that I don't quite grasp fully. Because as I always will be coming from an understanding perspective, I will always lead my life with empathy. That's one thing that I kind of have, have inherently had my whole life, you know, being told that my empathy would cripple me way back when I was like a 10-year-old kid. Um, of course, I didn't really understand what empathy was at the time. But, you know, looking back, first off, the person that told me that, it's kind of crappy to say. Um. And, you know, that was, well, well, I don't really talk to them anymore, but a, a teacher of mine in the past uh, that was very integral in my life. But, you know, people are integral for certain respects. And then, you know, they don't have to stay in your life forever. That's what, you know, relationships a lot of the time are and friendships and kind of going throughout this life. That's why. You know, one of my very um, meaningful tattoos, my very first tattoo that I ever got was the rings of a tree because kind of that's just how I see life. You know, that's the the growth and the progression, right? The growth and progression of a tree is it accumulates more rings as it grows and adds more rings, but it also has those prior rings still embedded in a part of that tree. Now, that's kind of like what life is. Their situations, their experiences, their events, their relationships, you know, some of those things you carry on and you'll always have those relationships in your life. Some of those served a purpose at one point and then maybe they may be embedded within your history, but maybe they not be, might not be a part of those outer rings of your tree. So just, you know, some metaphorical nonsense that I'm just whipping out right before we get on into all these questions, but something to consider, something to think about. I always like just approaching life in this constant flux and not really, uh, um, you know, thinking of life as this, this linear progression or that it should be this linear progression of things. You know, it's, it's this undulating wave of everything and anything and it's unpredictable. So don't try and con control it because, uh, 
you can't really, you can only control a certain amount of things and, um, just focus on that. So you don't stress yourself out to the nth degree. Now, with that being said, let's dive on into some of these questions and let's understand a little bit more about me as well as just like my audience in general is what they have to answer or rather ask. Alrighty, our first question is from one two five six. Mm-hmm. Not quite the name, but I really appreciate the question too. Um, what inspired you to create a podcast that focuses on the intersection of language, linguistics, and etymology to the modern world? Well, I guess that's kind of funny because it kind of just started out as kind of strictly Latin grammar and Latin based. I actually was basically kind of reading more so. Uh, writings that I had uh, compiled because I I have been kind of like on the side working on a Latin textbook for a while now. We'll, we'll, we'll see it really if that'll be anything or really it's just kind of like help me with more of my uh, lesson planning and curriculum and stuff like that. But um, it kind of just started out as Latin grammar and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I remember just talking about first declension, what cases are, why we use cases in Latin, what's the difference between um, you know, you know, conjugation versus declension, what those really mean, why we don't have those in English as much, uh, why we rely on the endings of words in order to basically describe how that word is functioning within the sentence, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, so it was very strictly a lot more so based in grammar. And then as I kind of just started getting deeper into um, etymology um, and I started etymologizing and kind of just bridging Latin, Greek, and and the modern world when I was finishing up a capstone at my at U, Utah State University. That's where I finished up doing my BS in biomechanics, kinesiology, and uh, emphasis in Latin language in the classics. So what I was doing actually for my capstone for Latin was I was bridging the medical field with Latin and Greek prefix suffixes, affixes, and just showing the 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 culmination of words as they're smashed together to make well the greeks and latin are smashed together to make the english word you know so that's where i started to i had a big huge uh um, presentation basically just talking about um those things like you know essentially talking about like what what derivatives were essentially so then you know i talked about kentum kentum means a hundred Kentum doesn't really look like a hundred by any means. And, and this is kind of like how I set the stage of my presentation, but Kentum, this is where we get a lot of derivations of the same word that had that sort of hundred like quality to it. This is where we get certain words like, and then I'd call upon my audience being like, you know, like what, you know, where does Kentum think about, you know, something that has, you know, hundred, hundred quality to it. Well, people would chime in and say, hey, century, how about, how about a centipede? How about a centurion, a commander of a hundred men? How about cents? How many cents are in a dollar? A hundred. How about percent? Percent meaning by a hundred, essentially per meaning by or through a hundred. And so, so on and so forth. So then I kind of bridged it in that respect. And then I started to talk about medical pathologies like hyponatremia, for instance, hypo meaning low in the Greek, natrium, the Latin formal term for sodium. That's why we have NA on the periodic table. 
and then emia again the presence in the blood which is a greek prefix within the medical field so you have greek plus latin plus greek to make the mod podge of hyponatremia aka low sodium presence in the blood and so then i would take things like that and then i would show them word substitution so then if i had hyponatremia i could take that natr and suffix or i'm sorry and sub it in substitute it in for something like and substitute if you etymologize substitute real quickly sub means under statium means to stand so standing under or in place of well for instance we take out that natrium affix and instead we put in gly the um the affix for glykis aka glyc then you end up getting hypoglycemia hypo meaning low again glyceme referring to well that's glykis in the greek turning into glucose later on, meaning sugar, and then emia again, meaning presence in blood. So there you go. And then again, what I can do is I can take that from hypoglycemia and I can change hypo into hyper. Now it's become from low blood sugar into what is hyper. Well, it's the opposite of hypo, meaning low, hyper, meaning high, high sugar presence in the blood. If you are hyperglycemic, you're probably on your way to being pre-diabetic, type 2 diabetic, or you just have a high blood sugar response and insulin then gets secreted in order to bring that blood sugar back down to homeostasis if you actually have the proper processes functioning within the body in order to do so. Now, if you are diabetic, for instance, you don't have those natural faculties, um, you know, and, and, endogenously, there's the word, within your body. You don't have the body, um, the ability to secrete insulin. That's where we get insulin resistance. Insulin resistance equals type 2 diabetes, aka you have, you, you have You've ramped up your blood sugar so much to the point where your body's like, I can't really do this anymore because I've been in a state of chronically being in a high sugar response that I don't have the capabilities for my insulin to bring it down anymore. That's when you become insulin resistant and that's when things ensue and you become chronically inflamed and then that, you know, is an issue in our day and age. So if you didn't know, now you know. That's what I love about language in general. And I'm going to leave it there, but that's kind of how it started. So my etymology podcast actually started off Latin, and then I started to bridge more of my medicalness and all of that stuff into it. And then I just started to kind of, I don't know, it's it's evolved. E meaning out of, evolve means to turn. So out of turning essentially is where that um, comes from. Next one. This was interesting. Um, This is from Libra Liberating. Love that name. Libra, again, remember, if you're a Libra, the zodiac sign has the balance, the scale, because remember, Libras in uh, antiquity were about the equivalent of a pound, aka why pounds are still abbreviated as LBS. Why are young men becoming increasingly more depressed, anxious, sad, and angry in our modern world? And as a young adolescent young man, what do you find to be the biggest struggles well, I'm not really an adolescent young man, but I'm, I, I think they meant just like in general. 
what did you find to be the biggest struggles and uh, adv what advice would you give to uh, your younger self seeking to navigate the tumultuous world of language, linguistics, and etymology in our modern world if you think it is important to worry about it? Thanks for the lengthy question. I appreciate that. Well, first off, yeah, I don't know. Young men are increasingly being held to a higher standard than ever before when it comes to their behavior and personal conduct, in my opinion. They're expected to be upstanding citizens while also being expected to conform to traditional gender roles in society. But then we also have things like toxic masculinity versus like what is masculinity? What What is being an appropriate man? What is being a strong a masculine figure in the society? And this is be or this really can be incredibly confining uh, and confusing and can lead to frustration in the sense of being overwhelmed by what it is to be a man because many young men struggle to find their place in this modern world and this can lead to negative consequences such as depression, substance abuse, and even violence. We're seeing so much violence now. We're seeing, and I truly believe this, I know that sometimes I say things that are rather controversial, but COVID and quarantine and isolation, we're going to look back and we're going to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw out the word psyop just because, uh, I'm just being kind of funny and coy, but like, for instance, like, you know, I'm not a person that is like, oh, like I'm, I'm, I'm not this like questioner of an individual, but you know, I think that at the end of the day, why would I trust my gov government? They have never really had my interest out for uh, Like why, why? You know, under the 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 administration of Trump, under the administration of Biden, under the administration of anybody and everybody, just like, do I really think that the government is seeking out and thinking about my best, um, you know, what's what's going to be best for me? I really don't think so. Um, I don't think that I think that isolation and COVID and quarantine was a big, huge fluke. There was a lot of hoopla. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of fear mongering, but there was also a lot of virtue signaling, right? Because, you know, people, you know, would wear the mask saying, you know what, I'm wearing the mask because I care about the people around me. It's not about me. It's about the fact that I care about everybody else and that I don't want to make other people sick. It was almost like a quiet way of, of, outwardly expressing to people that they were more empathetic than other people that weren't wearing wearing a mask. I think that that's stupid and that's ridiculous, especially when people were wearing masks and they didn't even medically understand how to use them correctly and or, you know, cloth masks didn't do jack. All right? If you really wanted to help people out, put in the money and get an N95 mask and actually save yourself and the people around you, okay? You know, the, it, it just... I'm so sick of everybody cherry picking everything um, to the nth degree as to like what's right, what's not. Um, you have to fit all of these parameters in in order to be a good person on this side, or um, vice versa on this side, for instance. You know, but at the end of the day, I mean, think about it, you guys. What is a form of torture that we've used in order to? Uh, punish people in the future or in the past rather i mean solitary confinement when you isolate someone 
they, uh, for an extended period of time, I mean, that is the form of, uh, like just such torture. You see the degradation of the mind. Um, and I just urge you to go look up, you know, studies involving isolation, uh, solitary confinement. Um, you know, these have been tactics that they used in order to pull evidence from espionage, um, or people conducting espionage, you know, when you're making the modern person having to, uh, to, to limit their social interactions and that they, you know, find themselves kind of like becoming more and more isolated. I mean, what is that going to do to a person? And then, you know, and now we're seeing it manifest in this world. Don't tell me that you don't agree with that to a certain degree just to be pragmatic, just to be objective and looking at this, would you not agree that maybe the whole COVID isolation quarantine, that was kind of just the percolating of all of this mental illness to kind of just embed itself just a little bit more and to kind of root itself in our society. And then you know, it's kind of like a dormant illness, you know. You could be uh, you could have a dormant illness and then some kind of stressor happens in your life that actually happens and allows it to kind of come to a head where then you actually start exhibiting those signs and symptoms that have been laying dormant for so long. I truly believe that what is happening in our society is that the percolating of all this mental illness is bubbling up and it's coming to a head. I mean, hey, I mean, can you guys tell me how many shootings have occurred in the past two weeks um, because I can tell you that it's more than six and maybe less than 11. Two weeks, guys. It's ridiculous. And we just keep on saying, you know what? One side, oh, it just makes me so angry. One side's going to say mental illness. The other side's going to say guns and nothing's going to be addressed because we're just not seeing each other from across the aisle. We're just fighting each other. And it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. So at the end of the day, uh, I think that there has been such um, pressure placed on our young men. There is such pressure, but also it's it's hard to be a man nowadays because being a man... Um, is confusing. It's confusing because um, people don't, I don't know, I don't want to get too controversial. So I'll leave it at that. But we got to understand that our boys are suffering. Our girls are suffering. Our they thems are suffering. Everybody is suffering out there. How can we elevate and lift each other up and make it so that we have this equality that we actually want? I mean, it's like when one pendulum swings, it just swings the other direction and the, and the pendulum swings all the way on the other end. It's like, why can't we find ourselves in the middle? Why can't we find ourselves appreciating the diversity of humankind and not trying to limit one side or the other side or demonize one to to elevate the other. It's interesting. It's upsetting. I wish it weren't the case. It just, it is what it is now.
but I hear you guys and I see the boys that are struggling right now because being a dude is hard. Being a dude is very difficult. Um, and it's very nuanced now as well. So thank you for your question again, Libra Liberating. Next question we have here. How has the etymology of words evolved to reflect and even perpetuate current problems in society? Gunsmas. Uh, thank you for your question, Gunsmas. Well, etymology, again, is the study of the origin of evolution and historical usage of these words. Etymos, the true sense, ology, the study of the study of the true sense of words used throughout history. Through the research and interpretation of etymological evidence, we can gain some sort of insight into the way language has been shaped by and even contributed to uh, the various issues faced by societies through history. Like, for instance, the etymology of, like, racism can be traced back to the early 20th century and the notion of racial superiority, which was at the core of the Nazi ideology, essentially. Similarly, we have the words for, like, like xenophobia, for instance, which is derived from the Greek xenos, which means stranger, and then phobia, which means fear, fear of the stranger, indicating a long-held fear and mistrust of outsiders that has been part of many cultures and societies, right? You know, there is that xenophobic thing where we kind of are, you know, we're, we're, we're afraid of things that are outside our, our scope of preference and mind. By studying the etymological history of words, we can gain an understanding of how issues such as racism, xenophobia, and other forms of discrimination and hatred have per perpetuated through language and the use of certain words, right? Like I've talked about the F word when referring to gay people, for instance, you know, I hate that word. I hate the usage of that word. Sometimes it can be used coyly and uh, in a joking respect. Uh, but all in all, you know, the reason why we called them, well, I'll use the word, but, um, you know, this is just me using it uh, to kind of describe what it really means. But the term faggot um, refers to kindling, uh, like kindling, essentially, because back in Salem witch trials, you know, the, the, the witches that were held to the stake and burned, uh, well, at that time, they were also rounding up all the gays at the time. And they also were burning them at the stake, but they didn't feel the, uh, them to, to be strung up like the witches were. So instead, what they did is they just tossed them into the kindling uh, to be burned at the foot of the, the witches. And that's why they're called faggots. So um, to understand the historical significance of words and where they really come from gives you an idea as to why we shouldn't use those words, right? Because that's a really disgusting thing to refer to someone as kindling. You know, that's why in, you know, Britain, they refer to a, a cigarette, a stove or whatever as a fag, for instance, right? Because it's just this burning kindling, essentially. So there's an example as well, a little bit more of a controversial example, not controversial, but just more of a heavy example. It also can provide us with greater understanding of the way our language has evolved to reflect and even perpetuate the current problems within society, too, in my opinion. As language is consistently changing and adapting, so does its resonance with the issues of our day, you know. 
um, you know, like the concept of gender ideology or gender identification versus biological identification, bios meaning life, ology study of, gens gentis meaning tribe, tribe, class, race, um, is, um, you know, it's different than life. The, the, the class that you assign yourself with is different than the, the, the life that you are assigned with at birth. I'm not going to get into that. Um, I'm just kind of, I'm delineating it through etymology. But a particular example of this can be seen in the way that derogatory terms have been normalized and used to oppress certain groups as well, you know. By using etymology to trace back to the roots of these words, hence why I talked about the word faggot before, um, to understand their connotations, we can better draw attention to how they perpetuate societal problems and push for more inclusive and respectful language, you know, to, to give everybody the safe space, but also not to enable them. Right, because the world is a hard place, and the world shouldn't have cry closets as well, because that thing is stupid. But also, I think that we need to be understanding that we are quite a diverse group of people, and we need to understand about the inclusivity is the inclusivity we can um, that we can encompass. If we allow ourselves to, rather than being so disjointed, so diversified, diversified in, uh, in a way where, you know, you're trying to get uh, to not try and be inclusive. Die, die meaning apart, verse means to turn, to turn apart, turn away from. Next question here we have uh, from I don't like leaky gut. Yo, same here, brother, man. Now that, you know, don't you love how the medical community, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, they talked about leaky gut um, and didn't even, you know, consider it a thing. But now that they've tied a medical term to it, aka intestinal hyperpermeability, aka what leaky gut is, because that's what, you know, all of these gut issues are. If you think about what intestinal hyperpermeability is, well, intestine, hyper meaning high permeability, um, well, it permeates through. What happens in leaky gut is essentially the small particles of the food get uh, permeated through the epithelial tissue of your um, small intestine. I believe it is stratified, pseudo stratified. No, I think it's squamous epithelial. Re regardless, um, you know, it gets leaked through that intestinal wall. And then you have food particles floating about in your bloodstream. Um, I know that this isn't the question, but I like the the uh, the, the person's uh, call sign or whatever you want to call it. Um, so if you have those food particles floating around in your bloodstream, that's when you get your phagocytes mobilized. That's when you get all these white blood cells being mobilized to areas uh, where the blood is, or where the food's being secreted into the blood essentially because food particles should not be in your blood and that's what creates the autoimmune response that's what creates these gut dysbioses um, food intolerances and all that stuff that's what leaky gut is so you know that's why they talk about having uh you know taking l-glutamine to repair those intestinal walls um so that food particles don't leak through regardless 
I don't like leaky gut actually has a question. What linguistic patterns are used to identify and address the most pressing societal issues? Um, hmm. Good question. How about using metaphors and analogies to describe a problem such as uh, the pandemic is like a storm or the climate crisis is like a ticking time bomb, you know, um, which it is. And uh, pandemic, looking at it, panned meaning, uh, you know, like panacea, it means all or anything or everything. And then emic refers to uh, you know, presence in the blood or presence endemically, essentially. So pandemic means all present, essentially, in the blood, in the blood of the, uh, in the blood of society. Um, I'm trying to think of other ways. How about using direct and powerful language to describe the consequence, con meaning together and or with, sequor meaning what follows in Latin, so consequences or what follows with the actions that are taken. So the consequences of the problem, such as the pandemic is devastating communities or climate change will have catastrophic consequences if we don't act now, cata meaning down, strophic referring to the turning. So a catastrophic means the turning down of uh, the climate, essentially. Um, another one would be persuasive rhetoric to encourage people to take action, such as we must work together to find a solution, um, or we must act now to prevent further suffering. You can also use emotionally charged words to create a sense of urgency, such as um, devastating, critical, or urgent, kind of just expanding, expanding on what I just talked about before. And then my last pit that I would say um, would be using emotionally charged stories to connect people to these issues, such as the stories of people suffering from the pandemic. You know, I'm, I'm using this all-encompassing right now. I'm not getting individualistic or in-depth or the effects of climate change on a small island nations, for instance, right? Or the, the effects of climate change on um, polar bears or something like that, you know, kind of like bringing it to a head and... Uh, showing people the actual devastation that it is in our world. Alrighty. Next one we have here uh, from what's up in the club. Not much deal. Double G what's up with you. And as a faux so All right, I'm done. How is the development of language impacted our understanding of various societal issues? Um, yeah, I, tr uh, I'm, I, I really like that my audience is just trying to do a lot more of just like these open-ended questions because I'm here for it. Uh, in my opinion, the development of language has had a major impact on our understanding of various societal issues. Language offers us a way to kind of communicate ideas, feelings, and beliefs in a way that is both accessible and understandable if we utilize our language uh, in a very manipulated, commanded sort of way. It allows us to express our thoughts and feelings in a way that can be understood by others only if we allow it to do so. And it offers us a way to share our experiences and opinions with other people, one another, essentially. But we, we have to understand that language, we, we can go about language with uh, a lot of emotion backed behind our language. And that's not when things really 
you know, make precedence language uh, provides us a way for us to discuss these societal problems in a way where we can help us better understand them and work together in order to figure out the solutions. But we also have to see each other and empathize with one another. And we aren't really doing that right now. So um, I say all these things in kind of like a vacuum, like this would be in the best case circumstance. Because in the best case circumstance, it helps us to articulate our beliefs and perspectives on these societal issues and allows us to come to a greater understanding of the complexities of these issues. Then language also allows us to engage in meaningful dialogue and debate about social issues, which can then help us to gain insight and empathy for those who are affected by them. I mean, ultimately, the development of language has greatly impacted our understanding of these societal issues and has given us a platform to, to discuss and work towards solutions all within a vacuum. Because at the end of the day, our language really hasn't been making much of a precedence because our language has been met uh, with fire, fire and fire and fire and fire, because our language carries so much anger right now that... Um, we can't see eye to eye on a lot of these things, unfortunately. Next one from a no name. How has the language of privilege and oppression evolved over time and how does it continue to shape our world today? The language of privilege and oppression has evolved definitely over time and has become increasingly more sophisticated and nuanced in my opinion. Um, society has become more aware of the power dynamics and social hierarchies that exist that language used to talk about privilege and oppression has definitely transformed, especially because today the language of privilege and oppression is used to, used to describe the various ways in which some people benefit from systems of power while others are disadvantaged. I'm not trying to be all woke about it, but like that's kind of how it is. This language is often used to emphasize the structural and institutionalized inequality that exists in society. This is also a means of how we command our language, right? Because the way that we conduct our language can actually kind of um, get us from one institution to another, in my opinion. I think that, um, you know, people take you more seriously, like, for instance, like my property management right now, the way that I've been communicating with them because we've been dealing with a lot of issues um is that if you uh if you you know me they they think they can just walk all over me because i'm just a 27 year old dude i don't know much about anything and you know but no i do and i can use language in order to basically bolster my mm, and elevate my position it makes me more uh well they take me more seriously because they see that I, I speak very pragmatically, succinctly, highfalutin, um, reasonably. So you can also, by not knowing the language that you use, you can subjugate yourself and you can marginalize yourself, in my opinion. You can, you can open up so many avenues by commanding that language. Because the language of privilege and oppression can often be controversial. For example, some people may reject the idea that some groups benefit from systems and power and privilege. 
uh, and vice versa. They may argue the concept of privilege is too broad and that privileging one group necessarily disadvantages another, you know, the, these things can kind of come to a head. But then what, again, you know, if you take it away from the group and just look at it individualistically, you know, you can be oppressed by your language or you can be elevated by your language and elevate yourself. And you know what? It's like that poem of by Rudyard Kipling, by Rudyard Kipling, where you either can, you know, converse with the kings or you can squabble with the paupers, you know, being able to have that kind of dynamic quality about yourself can make life so much more easy. Not, not so much more easy, but so much more approachable, not so much, not so overwhelming. You don't have to always be, woe is me. You can say, you know what? It's my opportunity. I'm not going to allow my, my situation to disadvantage me. But again, you know, we're just coming at it from the aspect of language. We're not coming about it from societal or economic status, um, you know, racial status, whether you're more of an oppressed group versus not an oppressed group. But at the end of the day, language of privilege and oppression is vital in understanding and addressing the systemic injustices experienced by marginalized groups. Like I've talked about before with the F word, for instance, referring to gay people. It helps to shed light on the various factors that contribute to inequality and to create a space for dialogue and meaningful change. As such, it's important. It's an important tool in our efforts to create a more equi equitable world, in my opinion. But what is equitable? I don't know. I say that, but I also say that with a grain of salt, because although I want us to be equitable, I want us to to see each other as the humans that we are and not anything else, you know, it's not really what life is right now. That's not what the world is like for us right now. And it's just kind of, it sucks. This is our last question here. And it's from trans Cheez-Its across the Cheez-Its. I don't know, but I haven't had Cheez-Its in a while. That's uh, great name, I guess. Thanks for your question. How has the etymology of certain words and terms evolved over the past centuries to reflect societal change? We'll love this too, because the etymology of certain words and terms have evolved over the past few centuries to reflect changes in language and societal, societal norms pretty prevalently. So like, for example, you take the term like gay, which once meant joyful or lighthearted, uh, before, and now it's associated with homosexuality in the mid 20th century. Similarly, similarly, the term like feminism has evolved from its original meaning of advocacy for the political and social and economic equality of the sexes to more of a general definition of advocacy for the rights of women. Um, that's literally what the term has, you know, evolved from back in the day to what it is now. Another one, for instance, like queer, Queer has evolved from its origin as a derogatory term used to describe people of non-conforming gender or sexual orientations into a more widely accepted term used to describe a broader range of gender and sexual identities. 
Um, in fact, like I needed somebody else to, well, somebody got mad at me for asking the question what really queer meant because before I thought queer just meant, you know, you're, you're gay or you're, you're not really like, you're not, you're not heterosexual, but now queer, um, kind of encompasses something more so, um, so yeah, you know, I I asked that question to somebody that identified as queer, but I knew that they um uh were they had they've had heterosexual um relationships as well as homosexual relationships. Actually, they hadn't had any homosexual relationships, but yet they referred to, the, to themselves as queer. So, I just didn't really understand. I still don't quite understand because the person that I asked the question from kind of got mad at me that I didn't understand, which for instance, I hate that. Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to be like, oh, just because you don't know you're inherently ignorant. Why? I'm just asking questions. I'm actually just trying to learn more and trying to gain more uh, understanding uh, about something that I don't quite fully understand. Why can't I have a conversation about it? Why can't you give me a little bit more information? Um, because I'm a little stupid in regards to this. Instead of getting mad at me, it's like getting mad at a dog for, you know, I don't know, being anxious and tearing up a bunch of furniture when you go away for work, when you just got the dog about it two weeks ago or something like that. It's like, why would you get mad at a dog for something that they don't know what they did? They, they, they don't have bandwidth to understand what they did wrong. Same here. I don't know what I did wrong. I just asked a question. And for some reason that invited, um, a diatribe of me being uh, ignorant. I'm not ignorant. Don't tell me I'm ignorant. I just want to know. I'm ignorant when I don't know, but when I ask the question, I'm hoping to not be as ignorant as, as I w was prior to that question I asked. So regardless of, I mean, I believe that etymology of words and terms can or has not changed over the past few centuries to reflect societal change, but rather that the language itself has been manipulated and more so abused by those in power to suit their own interests, right? So like, for instance, like with feminism, which was used to describe the push for gender equality is now often used to describe radical ideologies and extremist views while words such as racism, xenophobia, and bigotry now carry so many uh, negative connotations that they can no longer be used in polite conversation, in my opinion. Like, once you say those things, then, you know, the hounds have been let loose. This is not a reflection of society, societal change, in my opinion, though, uh, but an example of language being twisted by the powerful and or by a group in order to serve their own agenda. Um, the change in etymology of certain words and terms and their usages in modern society um, can also be seen as a reflection of how language itself is controlled and manipulated by those um, in the higher ups and or just groups of people, right? The manipulation can be used to distort public's perception of various topics, allowing those uh, to shape public opinion and to, way, uh, and to sway political discourse. Um, people also, we've seen the redefining of words and language, and those definitely in power 
They can shift the public's opinion and perception on topics and can even manipulate them into supporting policies or actions that may not be of their best interest. But when manipulation of language happens, this becomes increasingly more important to understand as in recent years, as the public has become more and more aware of the power of the words that they use, um, we can see how they can be used to distort and obfuscate the truth. I mean, for real, though, you guys, like, this can definitely clearly be seen in the political landscape as such words as fake news, um, which are used to discredit and delegitimize, why was that word so hard for me, delegitimize um, news sources and information, or Another word, another, another word like reform, for instance, um, reform is used to simply mean cuts or rollbacks of social programs. Ultimately, the etymology of um, certain words and terms has, have evolved rather over the past centuries to reflect uh, changing political and societal landscapes, one in which language is increasingly used to be a tool of manipulation and control as well. So you can use language, you can manipulate your language, like I've said in the past, but it can also be manipulated to control you as well. I would rather use my language to control the things around me and to control my own life rather than being controlled by uh, the language that somebody else is using. It's just important to remember that while the evolution of language may be indicative of the changing societal landscape, it is also important to consider the power dynamics at play and how language is used as a tool of uh, control a lot of the time. Um, but it's also can be used as a tool to empower the individual to, to rise up against the the people up at the top. But I don't know. I'm just kind of ramble bambling at this point. I love the language that I use because it helps me employ it to command my life in the way that I need to, to keep, continually make me the autonomous person that I am and continue to be. And that's it. With that being said, I'm going to leave it there. I know that, that this has been quite a long episode, and I've enjoyed it quite immensely. I enjoy the questions that you guys have, and y'all just have inquisitive minds. So if you made it this far, thank you so much. And if you haven't already, to pop on over to any sort of platform that you listen to this podcast on and just throw me some storage. Um, and if, if you can, that would be much appreciated. But again, you know, if the spirit moves you, definitely give it a shot. But you know what? Thanks again for even getting this far if you did. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Tempest to Skeletor.